0: Hello and welcome to the Me and My Golf podcast. We're your hosts and PGA coaches, Andy Proudman and Piers Ward. And these podcasts are really about one thing, making you better.
1: Yes, on here we'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as players and coaches, as well as bringing to you special guests to help your game. Let's get into today's podcast and help you take charge of your game. Hello, everybody, how
0: is it going? Right, Mr. Prattman, how are you? Are I'm you very good? good, I'm very good. It's cold out there, the snow's here today outside, oh. so we're indoors, but also, I'm looking forward to going away. I'm going away Friday for some, for some golf, actually. I'm gonna go play a few golf, a few golf games. A few golf games, a few, <laughs> golf, games <in laughs> a few golf games in California. A few golf games in California.
1: I like it, a few golf games in <laughs> California is just a ticket. Get some,
0: Pretty horrid out there,
1: isn't it? We've uh, struggled with filming. The courses are closed here in they're the UK. Closed. I mean, it's yeah. so,
0: been so bad lately that not many golf courses have been open. People are chomping at the bit to get out of there on the, on the course, but they're on the range practising still. They're still well, we dedicated. Were,
1: we were coaching last night and I had five coats on. And you for some reason only bring a couple and you always say, why well, have I not bought enough? Yeah, and it's, it's when you're getting you
0: get get ready and you're in your house and it's nice and warm and <laughs> the, the thought of five layers is like, oh, I'll be warm with that, but yeah, it never works.
1: Yeah, I, mind you, I was wearing socks like this and uh, yeah, my ankles got really cold last night. And actually, mm. yeah, I'm going away next week as well. I'm going to uh, Madrid on Sunday to watch El Clasico. So I'm really nice. looking forward to watching that. Lionel Messi, never seen play before. So Real Madrid, Barcelona, that should be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, good.
1: So I'll send you a video. right so look we're talking about irons and you know there's four main areas that we want to talk about but i think we've seen this andy that irons are becoming more and more prominent when it comes to stats and it comes to the overall game and there's always been this big thing about how important putting is and then maybe there's a lot of talk about the power game and obviously the power game is very important and obviously putting is very important as well but mark Brody from strokes gained has actually come about and shown us how important iron shots are because if you think about it, if you're able to hit the green more often, you're going to be able to lower and reduce your scores. Yeah. That, that just makes common sense. So if you think about it, you're 150 yards away and you hit the green and you two put, that's three from the middle of the fairway as opposed to hitting it at the bunker, leaving it at the bunker, putting it on the green and three putting, you can see how scores can escalate just by being a poor iron player, can't you?
0: Yes, definitely, and I think, <laughs> good one, that and I think And I think the important thing to understand is this is with the driver off the tee, you don't have to be that accurate. The, you know, the, the the best players in the world now aren't necessarily the most accurate off the tee. They're very long, which is a, a massive help now. So if they're, they're, they're very long, they might be in the rough, but they're hitting shorter irons in at the rough, then they're still going to have an advantage because they're hitting a shorter iron in. And the good thing is these these long players and the best in the world are very, very accurate with their irons. So if we can improve that side of the the game and maybe spend a bit more time on that area mm. if it's more important, then, then we can start to see these scores lowers, get these handicaps down and actually just enjoy the game. There's, I always say there's nothing better than flushing your irons. If you can hit your irons well yeah. and play good iron shots, you come off the golf course and feel great because it's just a great feeling. Sometimes three putting doesn't matter so much when you've ripped a five iron 180 yards. Yeah. And, but, and
1: what we want to definitely talk about today is we're going to talk about these four main areas. We're also going to talk about, well, I'm going to talk about now about how Golfers struggle with their irons because I think the only thing they generally work at is their technique. So they'll work hard at their technique on the range and then they'll go and play golf and try and replicate that technique on the golf course. And it won't always be enough. Because you have to think about the other areas of the game which we're going to mention, which you do need to practice. And you just need to be aware of what it takes. Because, you know, I you know, I can play and I've played games myself when I've ripped the irons and but they've had a if I've had a poor strategy. It makes no odds because if I'm just a little bit out I can be in a bunker and suddenly those scores can escalate so let, let's start with the first one let's start with strategy so we talk about it so much um, we've done loads of content on this and we still see that when we take golfers on the golf course and play with them you're going are you shaking your head and you're going oh my god what are you doing yeah. what are you doing with this so for you Andy Summing up strategy, because we'll go through the main points in a moment and how we're going to get a good strategy. But for you to sum up strategy, what, what, what makes it so important for you?
0: Well, I, I think when it, for me personally, it's, it's making sure that you are giving yourself the best chance possible to score the best score on that hole. But also take out the risks, you know, on the golf course there's always mistakes. You, you can finish a hole and you can just say, it's always like, oh, well, I just chose the wrong club there, or I, I hit the wrong shot there, or I shouldn't have done that there. And that's often just because of, you haven't really worked out the best way to actually play that hole or play that shot or, or, or think about it in more detail. So I remember, Pierce when we were, there was, a, there was a turning point for me when we used to play junior golf at Oxley, when we play the golf course and you're on a par four and you just think, right, driver, you, just, you don't really have a plan for the hole. You just, you just stand up to the tee. You're maybe influenced by other players because they're hitting driver. You pull out the driver, you hit the shot, see where it goes and play the next one. Mm-hmm. And you're not really thinking in a, in a strategic way. And I remember, I can't remember why I did it, but I think I, um, it was maybe when the club championship was coming around, it was like, right, I need to... Somebody, I think, maybe have said to me, work out a strategy of what is the best thing to do around the golf course. And I remember doing it and, sit and sort of sitting down and going through each hole and thinking about what club's going to put me in play off the tee. You know, do I need to wick driver? What's mm-hmm. going to leave me in the right situation for the next shot? And, and I carefully then designed almost the perfect plan yeah. for Oxley Park, which is where I played, played my junior golf, where we played our junior golf. And that was so interesting because all of a sudden I'm, I'm standing on a tee and I'm not hitting driver everywhere. Mm. So many iron opportunities, there. the third hole par four, the third, fourth and the fifth hole at Oxley, I'd hit irons off. Eighth, ninth, 11th. Ex- yeah, exactly. There were so many that it just wasn't worth hitting driver because it was, there, was, there, was no, there was no benefit of doing it and it was risky doing that. So sitting down and working out that whole strategy all of a sudden made bogeys, so hard to actually come by, which was which is great, but also just made birdie opportunities. It gave me so many more birdie opportunities, even though I was hitting an iron off the tee. So it sounds defensive sometimes, but over the course of six rounds, 10 rounds, 20 rounds throughout the year, I was giving myself more opportunities to make birdies and actually taking out a lot of the risks. So having a strategy is just, it's like you say, as opposed to just thinking about technique all the time, it's just so important to be able to actually give yourself the best chance possible to get the most out of your round over time as well. I like the way you sum that up uh, quickly. Quickly, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seven minutes later. But no,
1: that, that is a really good way of summing it up, just giving yourself the best possible chance to shoot the best possible score because... You know, we'll we'll see so many bad examples of people going for flags that they shouldn't be going for. You know, they've got a three iron in the hand and they've got a front right flag with water around the front right, and they're going for the flag. And you're thinking, you know, Tiger Woods isn't really going to play those shots. And and it often makes me think whenever you see Tiger Woods play a three iron to a short right flag with water on the right, he probably hit it. He was probably aiming for the middle of the green, and yeah. he just actually cut it a little bit more than he wanted to, and it came short right, and it worked out well. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say that these guys, especially with the longer clubs, are going for the flags. You know, they're often going for the middle of the greens. Of course, there are some some different examples of that.
0: I think one mistake that golfers make is is obviously that the golfers who are watching golf, they're watching the best <laughs> players in the world execute incredibly difficult shots. Now, the problem is there that that a lot of golfers think that well, if, if they're in that same situation, they should be doing exactly the same as what Tiger Woods, Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy are doing. Whereas, actually they're gonna hit a lot more bad shots than them. So our strategy for a, an 18 handicap should be a lot different to a a tour pro because what a tour pro can do is the margin for error that they've got is obviously a lot less than mm. compared to somebody who's um, an 18 handicap. So, you know, you've got to have an approach that's basically right for your level of play as well. You know, I yeah. always think when I play with, when I play with any any golfers, maybe when I play with my dad every now and again, <laughs> you know, he'll, He's, he's got 260 yards left and he's in the rough and he's pulling out his three wood in a really bad line. I'm, I'm there going, oh my God, what's he doing? And I think, well, if he just hits seven iron, get it back in play and get advance it down there and you know, he can be left with then another another seven iron in there. Whereas yeah. if he tops it in the rough and it hits it 40 yards and he's in the same again and all of a sudden you compound a bad score. So I think it's, it's understanding where you're at as your level and then designing a plan that's really down to you, nobody else, nobody else, other players that you're influenced with or any better players that you play with, you've got to really design and have the confidence to actually stick to a plan that is, is specific to you as okay. well. Okay,
1: so this is so this is the first part for you guys and girls listening to this or watching this, that you need to design a plan for the course that you're playing. So if you're playing, if you're playing the same course over and over as a member, then that's easy. If you're playing different golf courses, it becomes a little bit harder. If you've played the golf course before, and you've got a course planner, or you've got access to GPS on your phone or through an app that can, you can, there's apps now the way you can plan out, obviously, how to play that hole before you actually get there. So, once you've done that, you have then an awareness of how you're gonna do. But guess what? It won't always go to plan, but by having that plan, at least you've got a chance of executing it somewhat. So, the next phase, once you've done your plan before you get to the golf course, is how do you actually get your planning and strategy done? In the round so we call it the pre-shot routine we've all heard of it so we're gonna break down the pre-shot routine now into three important phases so the first one is strategy and planning so but what do we mean by that so I'll throw in a few first and then Andy can go in there with some more so strategy and planning is simply standing on the tee if it's a par three and going right where's the flag where are the hazards where's the, the the wind coming from if there's any wind is it uphill is it downhill so you're taking into account All of what might affect the shot you're about to hit you need to get the yardage obviously as well from that but you have to take into account the danger and I'll come back to this a little bit later because we had a really cool comment from someone in the Facebook group about this but so you need to take into account the danger so if the flag is on the right and there's bunkers on the right and there's not much trouble on the left it makes sense that you're saying to yourself right I'm going to avoid playing towards those bunkers I'm going to go more to the middle or to the left side of the green so you need to take into account everything that's happening from the weather from the pin placement to the yardage to the ideal sort of shot that you need. Now, once you've got that information there, and is there anything that I've missed there? Can you think of anything that Um, I've missed there? I don't think so. I think I've pretty much got everything in there. Once you've got that information, you then need to flip into the next part, which is the imagery. So Andy, just talk through imagery and the sort of things that we're looking at from that.
0: Well, I think with, with this, I always think when we come to imagery, I think asking ourselves a question is really good. It's like, you know, what is the shot that I want to play here? Because if you ask yourself a good question, your brain's gonna to get to work and try and find a good answer. Whereas if you're in, if you're stuck in where don't you want to be, it's very hard to picture exactly what you want because you're actually focusing on exactly what you don't want. So when you're in the imagery phase, it's like, okay, ask yourself the question, what is the shot that I want to play here? Because then you can start to picture that exact shot that you want to play. You might envisage the ball sort of playing, you might see that it's drifting towards the, your target off the wind or whatever it might be, but have a real clear picture of exactly the shot that you want to play. Because the more vivid and the more clear that is, you will then get to work in the next part, really, of trying to execute that. But I think so many people don't, they're not clear on that piece, they're no. not, they stand on the tee, they might have a little bit of a, a, a plan. Yeah but they're not really standing there and, and asking themselves, okay, what is the shot that I'd like to play here? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? All these things that we can ask ourselves that really help bring some clarity to the execution part. Yeah. And then exactly, exactly right. So the basically the question, yeah, i do not sure you know on
1: this one, but the, the, the question that we had from the Facebook group was saying that we were talking about strategy and routine. It was part of Ultimate Times actually, uh, the coaching plan and it was saying, well you're talking about hitting bad shots or so avoiding bunkers and don't hit it in that bunker and don't do this. But when we're talking about the strategy part, we have to be aware where the danger is, so we then switch, but then we switch from being aware of where the danger is to then going, right, what's the shot that I need to play into the best possible spot? and then we get to the imagery part, which Andy is talking about now, and when we're in that imagery part, we're actually focusing on the flight of the golf ball, how it looks, how it sounds, how it feels, but we're focusing purely on the shot that we want, and that is the key with imagery, because if people don't get a good plan and don't get good imagery, they'll be standing over the golf ball going, oh, look at that bunker on the right, I better not hit it in that. That's when it goes wrong, but your pure focus is strategy, get a good strategy and noticing where the trouble is, getting a plan to avoid that, but then in the imagery it's all about focusing on the shot that you actually want. It was really cool because he was an NLP guy as well, so he was totally aware of this. But again, it's about making sure that you have a clear distinction from noticing where it is, then picking the shot, and then imagining how to play that shot.
0: Yeah, and I think when we we go back to the the, the planning your course earlier, really important that you understand where you don't want to be. If you play the course on a regular basis, you know where the, the, the dangers are off the tee, and around the green. So really understand when you put that plan together, note down, how can I avoid those places? How can I avoid them by choosing the right club, maybe playing in certain areas? So it's really important to identify those so you can avoid them, providing you then switch in the, the, uh, the other phase, what do you want?
1: Yeah, so again, on the imagery, you need to make sure that you are focusing on that because the more you play a golf course, the more failures you're going to have. So let's say that you're on a hole, and you've played in the competition on the Saturday, on the Thursday, you're playing a game afterwards, and you're on the 12th, the par three, and you're going, oh, I hooked it in the trees last time I played here. Guess what? That's going to be in your mind a little bit, and we spoke about this in the last podcast about how I got to break par by going and practicing those holes, but ultimately what you need to do is, when you're on that tee, you better have a good image of the shot that you want to play and not think about what you did last time that you played. Um, and just another one on imagery, I mean, I like telling this story because it's a good shot that I hit, but. Again, we'll link this back to something we spoke about with Carl Morris and Jamie Edwards talking about how Tiger has this shot file in his head, so he could have like this hundred shot file. I don't know how much of this he uses now or how much of he used then, but he would have a shots that he would remember that he played under pressure and he would tag. We won't go into that, but he would remember these shots basically. So if he needed to play a high draw driver, he may think about the 18th at St. Andrews in the open when he drove it onto the green with a high draw. So he's automatically remembering that ball flight that he hit before, how it felt, how it sounded, and how it looked. So I'll do that for myself. And Andy, you'll do that for yourself as well. We'll we'll be very good at remembering shots. So what, something we may ask you guys to do is actually remember some good shots that you've hit and imagine, sorry, remember how they felt So for me, I'm very visual, so if I remember good shots, I'll remember everything about the colour of the sky, the greens, I can even remember what people were wearing, what I was wearing, and how the ball flight looked, whereas Andy might be a little bit more along the lines of he knows how things look, but he also has to get the feel, the feel of the strike, how he felt when he hit a good shot and people saying good shot to him and how that made him feel. So there's lots of things that you can focus on in that imagery, but again, just think about the shot that you wanna play and things will happen for you. Okay, hope that makes sense. The third stage of the pre-shot routine is commitment. So committing to the shot that you want to hit. It sounds pretty simple, Andy, but it is a hard thing because people back off the shot or get the demons coming in, don't they? It
0: is, and I think the, if you if you the way we've done it, obviously in these three steps, makes it easy to to sort of segment them. So you have got that strategy first, you have got that imagery, and then you've got the commitment. So if you sort of if you can work at these in your routine, it then becomes a habit. So you then start to form this sort of process where you, you work through this. So when you step over to the golf ball, all the previous stuff is done, put aside, and then you just go to playing the shot. You fully commit to all the decisions that you've made. And then if it doesn't work, well look, you have give it your best shot because it doesn't always work. Not always gonna go to the plan how we want it. But at least you've stuck to the strategy, you can then learn from that and then you can improve as you go along. But as soon as you step into the golf ball, it is then fully commit to the decisions that you've made and execute then. And then after you can evaluate and see where you can get better.
1: Yeah. Now you're probably thinking, listening to this or watching this and going, "Mm, okay, how long is this gonna take? What am Am I gonna be done for slow play now? So you basically, you can easily get this done in 20 seconds. So it's easy enough to get it done in 20 seconds. Now if you're waiting, for a playing partner, because you're probably a longer driver now if you've been watching our videos, um, you've got even longer to sort of, sort of prepare and get ready for it and you're ready to hit the shot. I mean, the guys on the European Tour and PJ Tour, I think they have 45 seconds to, to prep for a shot. If they go outside of that and they keep doing that, then they'll get penalized. But you can get it done in half that time in 20 seconds quite easily. And if you think about it, you go, well, can I afford 20 seconds? Well, guess what? If your next shot is a putt, as opposed to a bunker shot and then a chip shot, going to be saving time that way so don't worry about it but maybe you do want to work at the timing of it so you're not taking too long be mindful of it but make sure you get good information okay so the second thing we want to talk about to help you with your irons is emotions so this is something that a lot of people andy find very difficult to control yeah that's game of golf we were playing in fact the last shot that i saw a full shot by a person the golf club went flying
0: straight oh up yes we won't mention who that we won't was that was but it, it wasn't one of us it wasn't one of it us, but, one the, of us. You,
1: but you know what these things happen you know people do get frustrated on the golf course and the problem is
0: guess what it carries over to the next shot it does and i think it's it's we're pretty good on the golf course in terms of controlling our emotions because we've, we've trained it we you know we we have well, i think we talked about this in the last podcast as well that we've we've worked on being able to control that and and Really bad shots, understanding the bad shots are always going to happen, but dealing with your emotions on the golf course is hard. And for you guys listening to this or watching this, it's, we are all going to experience these emotions. We all get frustrated with bad shots, but it's been able to actually control these and deal with them in the right way, have the tools to deal with them in the right way, which is the important thing when we're on the golf course, because they're going to happen. They're going to rear their head every now and again. And it's, it's how we deal with them and progress forward, which is really going to ultimately make the big difference to the scores. Because if we carry those on to each shot, and then if we're in a bit of a crappy mood, yeah, yeah. you don't make good decisions in a crappy mood. So if we can be in a good state, then we're going to make clear, better decisions, which are obviously going to have a better impact on our game as well. I, I, I'm
1: going to ask you a question now, because we've been doing this sort of stuff for a while and we're getting pretty good at this, but can you remember the last time that you were really angry or you had bad emotions on a shot and it cost you anything afterwards? Um, I can't can remember. Maybe not the last time or ever a time that, that happened. Cause I've never really seen you get angry, I must say, even when you weren't aware of this stuff that we're talking about now.
0: Um, I, can, I actually can't remember, no. Maybe maybe just as a, as a, as a junior golfer, more you frustrated. Did you ever throw a club or anything like that? Um, I don't think I've that? ever thrown a club, no. Never thrown a club ever? No, yeah, no I, I don't think so. <laughs> I have. Yeah. But but you know I've seen I, you throw a club, have yeah, you seen me throw yeah. a club, yeah? Where was that? Oh, uh, I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> Celebration. No, no. There's more than one. Celebration. I don't remember that one, but I actually remember that now. You threw a club at uh, Grand Mar on the fourth hole. Oh yeah. You're having a shocker. Did you know what? I was having a
1: shocker, but that was that was quite a playful one. That was okay. quite a playful one. Whereas the one at Celebration wasn't. That was a, I was upset. Okay, with that one. it wasn't a playful one. I was upset. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> a great throw as well. It went about 70, 80 yards. Yeah, it's a good one. But you know, <laughs> so. I think the way that you can. We're not saying it's is, good to throw shot yeah, by no, the way. No. But if you want any any advice on technique on throwing, I can help you. I, I think the the key thing is that yes, of course you can train it to to not feel any emotion, but the likelihood is you probably are in a lot of instances. And we're not saying it's good. What we're saying is, can you get rid of it quickly? So we know someone like Tiger Woods; he gets upset. You know, he curses. He he will slam his clubs. But one thing the Tiger's very good at is forgetting that, and there's all sorts of ways that they've done that before with caddies, a 10-yard line, and things like that. So basically, if he's still upset after 10 yards, his caddy will put the bag down, and he'll just look at his caddy and go, oh yeah, that's me again, I'm being an idiot. But you know, just making sure that you don't carry it over, that is really the real key to it. I think someone like Sergio, for instance, I, I mean, we, we've met Sergio, and he's such a nice guy, but he's very fiery, and you can imagine that possibly has if you if you think about it, when he's hit these bad shots and he's got a, he's got angry, they do seem to have a negative effect. Whereas Tiger, I don't think it does. Tiger will often birdie no. the next hole after he's had a, after he's had a bad hole.
0: Yeah, and you look at people like John Rahm as well. He's a, another example of somebody whose emotions get a little too high, but he's obviously he he's able to deal with that and uh, and you've got to figure out if it actually helps you or not. So let's say you, you react in a poor way, like John Rahm does. John Rahm gets emotional, we saw him slam a club this year at, um, in Dubai, after he hooked his drive into the trees, but he made birdie from that. He's get up and down.
1: Why did he get up and down from there?
0: You know, and, th- and that's the, the difference is there, a lot, of, a lot of other golfers would hit that, and let's say they did get angry and slam their club, that anger then would influence but them in a negative way. But what obviously John Rahm does, because he's, 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 we've seen this from him, he might use that anger and turn it into a positive mm. um, mindset. You know, he obviously uses that in a in a positive way. But if you know that this is a negative, has a negative impact on you, then it's something you need to deal with. And I'm I'm, prob- I'm pretty sure that John Rahm is is aware that he probably needs to deal with his anger better. But he's probably works well working on a way that he can use it in a, in a positive way. Him storing all these emotions up might not be a great thing because he then he might go home and beat up his, <laughs> beat his dog his or something. But, the, um, but it's, it's understanding how it's impacting you. Is it a negative way? And is there a way that you can deal with it better? Do you need to let it out in some way and then move on like Tiger does? Or do you need to actually react in a different way by being a little bit more neutral, maybe even laughing about it, or just working hard at accepting bad shots? Because if you are somebody who's getting angry, you've got to ask, the, ask yourself the question, why are you getting angry? What does it mean that you're getting angry? There's something behind that anger. Often it's some sort of fear or something like that. But if if you are doing it, why are you getting angry? What does that actually mean? You've got to sort of think about that as well.
1: Mm, I like it, I like it. And I think we've spoke about this for a while now. You know, be aware. Be aware of your emotions and don't let them carry on to the next shot. Best you can. Okay, so look, we're talking third thing, um, striking. So we're gonna talk technique as the fourth thing, but the third thing is striking. So by that, we're not on about hitting the ground before the ball or hitting it thin. We're talking about off-center hits. So we're talking heel and toe. So we all know now that game improvement irons, you know, the cavity backs that we get, you know, they are very good when you miss the golf ball, when you miss the sweet spot. But it doesn't matter how good the club is, if you miss the sweet spot, the ball will travel less distance. So if the ball travels less distance and maybe has a different flight if we think out of the toe you know the, the, the start there's a chance that the the, the the ball flight's going to be lower and the ball speed is going to be lower that means you're gonna lose distance and you're gonna lose carry as well so if you're going for a front right flag and you hit it slightly out of the toe guess what you're gonna be in the front right bunker so I think there's a, there's a few things that you need to be aware of number one is you probably are hitting it off center number two is whereabouts are you off-center? Do you actually know whether your toe or heel? So you can test that out, it's dead simple. Put a tee peg or a couple of towels either side of the golf club so you can only hit the ball out the center. Whichever towel or tee you keep hitting repeatedly, that's what your pattern is. So if you're toe striking it, figure out a way to stop hitting the ball out of the toe. But then understanding that, that you may have this tendency of hitting it slightly out the toe and losing a little bit of distance, So when you have got a front right flag, don't go for it. You know, go for the middle of the green. Guess what, actually, if you go for the middle of the green and you hit it at the toe, you might actually get that flag. But maybe sometimes building in a margin for error when you're hitting your golf shots. Because Andy, we know that when golfers go on the golf course, that seven iron that they once hit 175 yards is what they're trying to replicate every time.
0: They don't allow that little bit of room for error. And look, how many golfers actually, this is an interesting sort of point as well. When, When you're hitting an iron to the green, you're always thinking, I can just get there with that little, that, I can get there with that eight iron, I can get there with a seven iron. People don't go the other side. They, they don't go, I'm gonna hit a six iron to be safe. I'm gonna hit a five iron to be safe and get past the flag. They're not there. That ego that is attached to them. It's, oh, I can get there. What, what's my playing partner hit? I'm hitting a seven I can hit an eight iron. That, you've gotta get rid of that and actually, A lot of the danger is short of the greens. We always talk about this. A lot of the danger is short of the greens on par threes and and par fours and fives. So what's the problem with being a club big? If you're five to 10 yards past the hole, well, you're generally going to be safe, obviously, unless it's a back flag, but allow something that's going to take it past the flag. You know, something that I even think about still now, you know, I'll be on a golf course and I think, well, I haven't got to hit it that perfect distance. Hit a club that's going to be five yards big. Five yards big is still a good mm. opportunity to make birdie. So th- thinking about that on the golf course, maybe not always just thinking what's the exact yardage. Let me play to that exact number. Let me play five yards big, and then let me allow for a bit of room for error on the miss as well.
1: Uh, and yeah, absolutely. Can you remember? Have you you've heard the Christy O'Connor senior story? I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a legend and a story. I mean, how how true this is, but I'm sure this has happened. So he's playing a pro am and Christian Connor Sr., so uh, Irish golfer, his uh, son, Christian O'Connor Jr., helped win the Ryder Cup with the two iron on the 18th at the Belfry. But anyway, Christian Connor Sr. is playing in a pro-am, he's hitting seven iron into a par three, one of the amateurs hits an eight iron, and he hears the amateur saying to one of the other amateurs, oh, I hit eight iron, and he hits seven iron. So he stops them all, pulls out his eight iron, hits it on the green, pulls out his six iron, hits it on the green, his five iron, his four iron, his three iron, and hits them all on the green, and then just walks off. So there's, a, there's very much a this is what the pros are very good at. There's no ego attached to what they're trying to do. No. It is, what is the shot that I need to hit this? So what they will do, let's say that they have a stock shot of 175 yards for a seven iron. They want to make sure that they can have a seven iron, 170 and 165. So they've got a whole 10 yard interval, three different shots that they can hit with that same club just based on yardage. And that is massively important to them with the fine numbers that they're talking about. And it's actually a really good skill for you to do to understand how far your seven iron goes, and then understand what it's like to hit a, one seven, you know, a, a five yards less and then a 10 yards less seven iron, because I definitely think it would
0: help you. Mm, maybe it's because you, it's not on, you, you're playing golf not for your livelihood. If, you're, if you were playing golf for your livelihood, that ego would have to go straight yeah. out the window because it's so much more important, isn't it?
1: It's not about getting the bar later and saying, I hit seven iron it's no, the no. third. <laughs>
0: it's about putting food on the table. It's
1: about putting food on the table. All right, so the fourth one we're talking about is technique. Obviously, we have to talk about technique. So we're gonna break it down into sort of five key areas that we see, and we start with the setup. Andy, actually I'm gonna track this back. The main thing that we're looking to achieve with the technique is to actually strike it solid. We spoke about off-center heel and toe, but if we wanna talk about striking it solid on the face uh, vertically, so not getting it thin and not getting it fat, this is massively important because that's what's really going to affect the distance that you hit a shot. So what we really wanna do with technique is we wanna control the low point. So for those of you who don't know, low point is the lowest part of the swing. Now you all know now I'm sure that we wanna hit the ball and then the ground, so that means that our low point has to be after the golf ball. So it has to be target side of the golf ball. So that's what we're looking to achieve with all of these areas that we're looking at. So Andy, first of all, setup. How can we get good low point with our irons with our setup?
0: Well, two, two main things. We've got ball position and we have weight distribution, really. So, ball position is definitely on an individual thing. You know, we see a lot of golfers um, potentially with the ball in, in different places, but one thing that we really like to see is the ball is ahead of the center. We like to see it's ahead of, ahead of the center because it helps engage the body. It helps really use the lower body to actually shift that weight towards the target. Now, somewhere between sort of mid maybe just ahead of centre and slightly closer to the lead heel is is actually good, depending on the person, depending on how much weight shift they've got and and other factors in the golf swing. But the more your ball is back in the stance, the more down you're going to hit on the golf ball. So the more chance your low point is going to be there. Going too far back will impact obviously too much steepness, but it's also going to impact the direction as well. So really important to understand where that, how the ball position is going to impact your strike. But remember, moving that ball position around will also impact the direction as well. If it move, if it goes back, it's generally gonna go more right. If it goes forward, it's generally gonna go a little bit more to the left. So you have to factor that into it. One other key thing is just weight distribution. You know, if you've got a little bit more, um, from what we see, a lot of people bottom out too early, the low point is a fraction before the golf ball, which can cause those thin or even those heavy shots. So having a little bit more weight in the lead leg at setup makes a little bit makes it easier to actually get weight into the lead side at impact. We don't necessarily wanna shift a lot of weight into the, the right leg with these irons like we do with the driver. So maybe favoring the weight 55 to 60% on the lead side gives us a much better chance of returning there on the downswing as well and giving that chance to get that low point and get that ball followed by the turf.
1: Yeah, I, I think that you know we've definitely done this with clients and we've done it with obviously online as well and we've had comments back from people saying, I just put my weight there and I was, I was so much better. You know, we do the towel drill where we put the towel on the floor and you've got to miss the towel and hit the golf ball or you've got to hit the ball off the line and then hit the ground after the line. And in, a lot of golfers just, just have to put more weight on that lead side at setup and it really does, in, it change their attention, changes their intention somewhat. It also changes um, their ability to move differently and it just almost gives them a feeling of getting into that lead side a little bit earlier in that golf swing.
0: And one thing I'd say about hitting irons, don't work so hard on trying to hit down. We hear a lot of people trying to hit down, which causes actually too steepness, too much steepness in the golf swing. So actually just understanding that we want to have the low point past the golf ball. So it's okay to actually just take a little bit of turf or even brush the ground past where the golf ball would be. We don't have to crash the club into the turf and take huge big divots. It's just understanding that if we can swing and get the club to Hit the ground just past the golf ball, then that means the club is hitting slightly down in the golf ball. It's not an intention to hit down, but it's a hit down by by a slightly different intention, really allowing us to hit the ground past the golf ball. Yeah, it's a good thing to think about that one.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think as well that the, the you know, just just having those practice things like you are saying, just brushing the grass, you know, just making you know dressing the ball and brushing the grass after where the ball would be is a really good uh, a really good thing. Okay, so let's let's move up the body a little bit now into the hips. Um, I'm tricky. Oh, There's. I, I really think there are two main things that control this from a golf swing point of view, and I think the hips is one of the most, if not the most important thing, because how we move our hips in our golf swing really does help us to control this low point. So, you know, a big uh, two big errors that we would see golfers do, in our opinion, is a, a hip sway away from the target or a lack of turn in the lower body in the backswing. If you get those two things, it makes it very hard for you to get that low point past the golf ball. And again, we'll have golfers who if they're swaying or not turning the hips enough, if we just introduce a bit more turn into their lower body and we stop them swaying, we can actually see a big difference when it comes to that low point. Because again, if we think about it, if you move away from the target on the backswing, you've got to move more towards the target on the downswing to actually get that low point past the golf ball. So you've just got to move more. You've got more work to do.
0: There's not many golfers who um, I would say now that we're saying, okay, you're creating too much turn in the pelvis on the way back. We, we, you're turning mm. your hips too much and you, we need you to get more on your right side with your irons. So it, it, this is very rare, but there's, there's so many golfers that we're saying we need you to turn more and we need you to get feel as if you're more on your left side with your irons at the top of the backswing because this inability to actually rotate into this trail hip and actually create a good movement with the hips is massively impactful on that ball striking. But let's say but let's say somebody, Pierce, seen this so many times, let's say somebody turns and they load up this right hip really well in the backswing. They turn and load it up, but then they don't shift weight towards the lead side because they're struggling with that. They don't mm-hmm. have the ability or capability to do that. Well, they've made a good backswing or a, you know, a decent backswing, but shifting weight is hard for them. And shifting weight is hard for a lot of golfers. Yeah. So, One thing we like to do is instead of, let's say loading up this trail leg and getting the weight into this right leg so they can then shift back, it's great for some golfers, but let's say for somebody who can't shift weight very good, well we would actually prefer that they maybe have a little bit more rotation in the right hip, almost as if the right hip is actually moving closer towards the target in the backswing. So they're not loading the pressure into the right leg as much, there's a lot less shift of that pressure which means then there's a lot less to shift back and if we can create less to do from backswing to downswing, it's, it's always this case with a lot of amateur golfers, yeah. the less manipulation or compensations they have to do in the downswing, the easier it is to repeat. So having more of a, let's say more of a centered turn, if you like, with the hips really enables you to then get the pressure into the lead leg. I think we both agree, Pierce, that it's good to get all the pressure into that lead leg at impact with an iron because we know it's going to help that. Um, consistency of ball strike.
1: Yeah, it's gonna help that low point, it's gonna help that sort of attack angle. Uh, look, I had four clients yesterday and three of the four needed to get more hip turn. And that's just something that is just natural and, and you know, for a lot of golfers, it really does help. I think when we're talking about this sort of uh, centered feeling of golf swing. All three of mine yesterday. All three. All three there lessons
0: I had yesterday, every single one was working at their pivot motion in the
1: wow. backswing. Yeah, every single and one. And yet they're you know, trying to uh, uh, achieve different results, I would say, in some of them.
0: Um, let me just quickly think about that. So Mark was ball striking. Yes. So Mark was ball striking, Chris was ball striking. He was low point, was too early. He yes. wasn't hitting down enough, so we wanted him turning more centered. And who was the last one? So I had Mark, Jonesy, oh, Steve,
1: Steve. Jones, he was working low Steve point. Steve was ball there.
0: striking as well, but more from a centered, more from a, from a centered thing. Yeah, we just wanting him to turn more because he couldn't find the middle. He's hitting heel so, strikes.
1: So central the club face there, yeah. And and look, again, we we're looking at this here, and we we hear, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, watching this, and going, this almost sounds like a stack and tilt method. So you may have heard of this method, or a stack and tilt, uh, Plummer and Bennett came up with this, which is a more centered swing. And you know, if you think about it, stacking is the the, the weight more towards the lead side, and the tilting obviously is the turning of the, of the, of the torso. But if you think about that method, I love what it does for irons. I think it's brilliant. And even to the point yesterday with actually with one of my clients, and he's a good golfer, he's a, he's a five handicapper, but we've been working at his strike for a while. He's not very strong in his lower body, so I took away his ability to actually maintain his leg flex in his right leg, and actually told him to straighten his leg. Yeah. I'm standing there going, I, he's not, he can't do this. He just physically can't do this. I'm working him hard, I'm getting to. he's got a food diary, he's working out in the gym, but I wanna accelerate it so his, his legs need to be stronger his hips need to be stronger so i said you know what we're going to straighten that leg and it was it was that's better it was unbelievable what actually happened to him when he was doing this he couldn't believe it it yeah. was a different thing there was still some the thing was he was still early releasing but because his hips so when i say early release he's throwing the angles down early with his wrists but what he was doing he was controlling his low point better with his hips so even though he still had another fault in his swing we were allowing for that by just getting his hips good so again if you can take control of your hips, it can definitely make up for other errors and mistakes in your golf swing as well.
0: So for everyone listening to this, there's <laughs> probably you're probably not turning the hips enough, we would yeah. say, or certainly not in an efficient way. So something to, be, to bear in mind, next time you go to the golf course, really, or the range, really have a look at what those hips are doing. You know, if we can improve the rotation and have you more centered with no sway, your irons are gonna be more efficient in terms of the striking. If you're gonna strike it better, you're gonna hit more greens. And if you hit more greens, you should be holding more putts. You should be holding more putts. And you should be having low scores.
1: You should be having low scores. Okay, so look, let's look at the third one. Club face. The, um, if the hips aren't the most important part of controlling the low point with your irons, then the club face is. So, is that right what I just said? Yeah, the hips and the club face are very important. So club face. Andy, will we know that golfers move their body and the club to react to the club face because their brain understands if you hit four or five shots out to the right or to the left, your brain will start going, I'm gonna move your body different now to compensate for this. Now, it doesn't always move the body in the correct way. So if first of all, if you talk about a strong, uh, strong, face, strong face player, someone like a Dustin Johnson, David Duval, Bernard Langer, you know, Paul Azinger, there's lots of golfers who've got a very strong closed club face and there's more and more like it now. We saw Morikawa, who's an amazing iron player. Brooks and he's Brooks Koepke, yeah, and, and Morikawa, he's got that <laughs> closed club face now. What the closed <laughs> club face does, it makes you do compensations. Now, otherwise you get the ball left. Now, all of the compensations that you do to square the club face up from a closed position we actually quite like, don't we? Because uh, you have to engage your body, turn your body, lean the shaft further forward, get the pressure into the lead side to square the club face up, otherwise it's going left. So actually a slightly closed club face now, it's less common that coaches will get rid of that. They'll find
0: ways of just engaging other parts of the body to allow for it. You won't see many guys with a strong face who are square at impact. you, You will see them really rotated with the lower body. Look at DJ and Morikawa, their hips are very much open because they have to do that to actually square the face. Up, where you see people with the open face yes. who, are, who just do not move their body at all because they're doing their best to then throw it down and square it up. So,
1: so this is exactly what we're saying. This is a little bit harder when we haven't got the visuals to this, but if your club face is extremely open and it's pointing out to the right when you strike the golf ball, the more you turn your body toward the target, the more you lean the shaft forward, at impact, you're going to leave the face more open. So what happens? You start turning off your body, so your hips stop turning, your torso stops turning, your hands and arms work really hard to square the club face up, and before you know it, you look like you were at setup again when you're striking the golf ball, so your impact looks like your setup position. The loft you create on the shot is extremely high, and your low point is probably before the ball. So as soon as you do this now, you lose the ability to strike the golf shot pure if we we like so if we think about someone let's say you've got 32 degrees of loft on a club a good player when they're hitting it they're going to be reducing that loft significantly into the mid-20s maybe even the low 20s but then when we look at someone who is inefficient with that loft they're hardly reducing it at all and that's when the low point happens before the golf ball that's when you duff it and that is why we feel that the open club face is a real massive issue when it comes to iron ball striking. yeah i
0: think with 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 anybody, whenever you look at somebody's golf swing, what you see are the, the corrections or the compensations. You see the big things that are, that are happening, excuse me. <coughs> the, the big the things that are happening as a result of something else. So what we'd say is if you see things happening in your golf swing, maybe you're leaning back on your right leg through the ball or you're not turning through the golf ball, don't just try and fix that. Have a look at what the club face is doing because generally there will be, you'll be trying to compensate around that face. Think about, always start with that face. If you start with the face, you'll start to see some of the things that happen as a result of that. And you change the face, everything else starts to change. Your body will start to figure out good way to actually make some good compensations.
1: Okay, guess what? The club face and the hips are very important. All right, number four. We're talking about shifting pressure. So again, let's not get too much into what that is, but it's pretty simple really in that when you are starting your downswing, we want you moving towards the target. So we want, as we've already alluded to, excuse me, we want you putting more weight and pressure into that lead foot as you are striking the golf ball. So, I think you said at the beginning, you said it a little bit earlier, Andy, that we want the majority of the weight in that lead foot, left foot, if you're a right-handed golfer, when you're striking the golf ball. So this is, I think straight away to a video of your dad hitting a golf shot. There is no way that he's putting enough pressure into that lead leg. You think of any golfer who hits the ball extremely high, who hits the ground before the golf ball, who thins it, you know, hitting the middle of the golf ball. It may be that you're not shifting the pressure into your lead leg. So this is definitely something that you can identify by videoing yourself, So what we'll say is from a front-on view, if you video yourself, and you imagine there was a line coming up from the left ankle for the right-handed golfer going straight up, when you're striking the golf ball, we want you to get your knee, your hip, and your shoulder, left shoulder, on that line when you're striking the golf ball. If you're doing that, you're doing a pretty decent job of shifting pressure.
0: Yeah, and if you can't, then, I mean, go back to my dad, my dad has got no chance of getting to that line. He could work at that for the next four years and would never do it because his club face is off. If he gets his club face better, and his backswing a little bit better then he could start to do that. So yeah. there's a re- there's always a reason behind it but you know understanding that yes we all actually just, that's just a really important part to understand yes we want to shift that weight but understand what could be the cause of us not shifting weight as well. And generally it's tied to something else in the backswing maybe the club face as well. A yeah. really important thing in terms of striking irons.
1: Yeah, I th- look I think with this I mean we're going to give you one more in a moment which is, is slightly different but I think just understanding these first four things and actually just, just looking at your golf swing. You know, do you have a good setup for your irons? Do you understand how, you, what you, how your hips are moving? Do you understand that club face and do you understand about shifting pressure? And if you can figure that out and you can look and evaluate your golf swing along those lines, again, we're not looking for golf swings that look like Adam Scott. We're just looking for golf swings that work. So be mindful of why yours maybe uh, isn't working as well as it could do. Okay, so the, the fifth one, last one, concept. You know, we've taught golf a long time now and I always remember when we, when we really got into our coaching at Three Hammers, we, would, we started talking to golfers about concept, about what they were trying to achieve because we were thinking, you know, I think we had, must have had a light bulb moment maybe we went to a seminar where we were going, I wonder if this guy or girl here is actually just trying to uh, not guy or girl, by the way, and we weren't sure whether it was a guy or a girl. Um, we, I wonder whether this student in front of us actually is trying to do something which is really bad for them. You know, So some of the things that they're trying to do, you know, so if we think about irons and the one real bad concept that we hear is, I'm trying to lift it. Now, as soon as you start doing that, we're in a world of hurt, aren't we?
0: Yeah, I'm trying to get under the golf ball, which we hear a lot of. So it's just, if you've got the wrong concept, if your brain is thinking that it needs to be doing one thing, but actually we need to do another thing. Your brain's gonna do what that wants to do. So it's, if we've got the right mental image of what we're trying to do, like trying to hit down, we said that's maybe not the right concept, but understanding that we can hit past the golf ball is a good a good concept. So having that right concept in your mind shapes a good movement. So if we understand that, and if we watch good videos, you know, that have got great graphics on, like we try and do in our videos, we really try and paint the right pictures. So. You can interpret those in a great way, so then you understand them, which means then you can repeat them and produce a good movement. This is the whole reason we put the detail on these graphics, so you understand the concepts, and then that really has a massive impact on how you move in the swing as well.
1: Yeah, and I think you, know, it's, you can, have, if you've had, some golfers have the wrong concept for 20 years, and if you're doing that, and it, sometimes this light bulb moment, of, oh my goodness, I can't believe I was trying to do that actually. So again, just be mindful of, again, what you're looking to achieve when you hit these shots. Whew, that was a lot.
0: There was a lot there, a lot there. Maybe we could have simplified that more, but let us know, we'd love to get your feedback on this. Look, we, we really want to make a big difference with these podcasts. It, allowed us, it allows us to go a little bit deeper into some certain subjects, like talking about strategy, emotions, a lot more different things. There's a lot more different things than how to grip the golf club and, and just technique. And we want to explore that with you guys to help you become the best you can be. And And based on that, I mean, obviously some of you guys watching this, so you're all members and you can see obviously we've got the Ultimate Irons and hopefully you've started that plan and had a good go at this plan um, and started to see some, some benefit. If you haven't, make sure you go and check that out because it really is good. And for the listeners, Pierce, as well, Ultimate Irons, this has been released now. Where are we? January, it
1: was released, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: January and it's been great so far. So many people have been writing to us, commenting, seeing the benefit of this so far. And it's included so much of what we talked about today, isn't it?
1: Yeah, indeed, absolutely. And there are people who haven't finished it yet. Well, if they have, they haven't been following the plan exactly, but they're getting close to finishing it now. And as you said, Andy, we're getting some really good, uh, positive results. It's kind of everything that you need, similar to what we've just discussed here, but obviously it gives you the good visuals, the graphics for the concepts, and and actually puts you on a training plan as well. So make sure you check that out. You can find that at meandmygolf.com, or you can even watch the first stage for free on YouTube, no problem at all. So, thank you so much for yes. listening, for watching. Um, we hope you enjoy that. Now, we're, we're definitely gonna get into these podcasts a little bit more this year. We're, we're gonna get some special guests in. So it'd be really cool f- to find out from yourselves who are the guests that you'd like to hear from, who would you like us to speak to. Um, obviously, Dustin Johnson is coming out. I think that'll be the, in fact, that'll be the podcast that's just gone up actually. Yeah, the last podcast will actually be DJ. We've got okay. a little bit mixed up there. So make sure if you haven't seen the DJ or listen to the DJ one, go and check that out. There's some really cool stuff from him, some stories about him on tour, uh, some really quite funny stories as well. So he was great. Um, and then obviously let us know in the, you know any reviews that you want to leave, You know, give us a review and let us know what you want to hear from these podcasts. And if you really enjoy it as well, take a screenshot, share it on your social media. Share it with your friends and just help us grow this uh,
0: Tag us in it, actually, and we'll get back to as many as we can. Just let us know your thoughts. Absolutely. But yeah, thanks for listening and thanks for watching, for the members, and we look forward to speaking to you next time. So we hope you enjoyed the podcast and it provided some value to you. Now, if it did, then please share it with a friend. If there's somebody out there who you think this will help, then please share it with them. Our mission at Me and My Golf is to help as many golfers as we can. Now one of the questions that we get asked all the time is how can we get online coaching from YouTube? Well, we've built an amazing platform that basically encompasses our coaching philosophy. So what we believe as, as coaches is that we're all unique, we're all different. So what we've built is a platform that enables you to find exactly what works for you. We've got several coaching plans on there that, where me and Pierce actually coach you week by week telling you exactly what to practice and really helps you understand your game and reach your goals a little bit easier. And there's a shot fixer section on there which really helps you pinpoint some of the faults that you're doing along with an extensive video library with loads of videos and also some articles on there to help your game. So it really is a an amazing platform where you can learn, find out about your game and really enjoy it. and be a part of a community where already thousands of people are enjoying it and seeing the results as well. So if you want to take a look and it feels right for you then head over to meandmygolf.com You can actually have a seven-day free trial to check it out. We know you're going to love it. We're on there every day speaking to our members. So head over there now and we'll see you on the next podcast.